Hey, it's great to be with you guys tonight. Um, real quick, the haunted corn maze is very fun. Uh, I never went to one, <laughs> but uh, it sounds like a lot of fun. My wife and I have four kids, and uh, so like every night I wake up to like one of my kids silently staring at me at like two o'clock in the morning. So like I don't really need to pay to go to a haunted corn maze. <laughs> like I get that every night. So it's great. Kids are great. Uh, no, like I said, I'm really great to be with you guys tonight. My wife is here with me, Amy. I'm not going to point her out because she asked me not to. But, um, <laughs> but uh, she is phenomenal. I'll just say that uh, she helped us start Challenge 2, and, and uh, she's just incredible. Um, if you don't know her, if you are a lady, I'll say this. If you're a lady and you don't know my wife, you really need to. Uh, she's incredible. She's wise. She's very... Um, compassionate. I mean, she married me. So uh, <laughs> I like to say that, like, I've given her so many great opportunities to, like, learn in grace and kindness because she married me. But uh, she's phenomenal. Um, we have four kids now, uh, Weston, Coraline, Garrison, and Natalyn. There's a theme there. Uh, we're four kids in, so we had to end with the end uh, ending. Um, but we have four kids ages six and down, and we love them. They're great. Uh, we have a really fun household. Garrison, our third age boy, he, um, he's my hospital child, <laughs> meaning like I think he's the one that's going to like break all his bones <laughs> before 18. <laughs> so he like runs with his head down, <laughs> but he's committed. So I, I, I appreciate that about him. <laughs> so um, like Cody said, um, I, I love challenge. My wife and I love challenge. My life was changed my freshman year with challenge. Uh, back at the University of Oklahoma. When I was a freshman in college, there was a guy named Aaron McWilliams. So in, in the University of Oklahoma, uh, where I went to college, um, the dormitories were like 12 stories tall, and there was like several of them. And so I was on Walker 7 West. So that was my floor, Walker 7 West. And there was a guy named Aaron McWilliams and his roommate, John Woods, and they were in challenge. They were juniors at the time, living on a freshman floor. And my first thought was like, these guys must be really dumb. Um, because why would, they, why would they still be on a freshman floor if they're juniors? But it turns out that they were in challenge, and they lived there intentionally because they wanted to be able to meet freshmen. So that's what they did. And um, so I met Aaron, and he, he, like, chased me for, like, six months. Like, hey, you should come to challenge. You should come to this event. You should come to that event. And I just put him off. I was involved. I was really busy. I was developing my career in marching band um, at the time, you know, so really, really fruitful. I played the sousaphone, by the way. Uh, professionally is how I like to say it. I learned three notes and I learned them really well. But that three notes got me to the Rose Bowl, the Orange Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, and all the other great bowl games. So that was a lot of fun. Um, in fact, the band gave us per diem every weekend to go to these games. They give us like $90 for food for like a day and a half. So most of the band like spent it on alcohol. I just pocketed it all and went to like Taco Bell. And that's like how I bought my books that semester. Anyway, uh, so like I said, my life was changed. Um, I kept putting them off. Then the best thing that absolutely happened in my spiritual journey in my life happened. Uh, my freshman year, the air conditioning unit in our dorm room flooded. So this is like those old school like radiator style air conditioning units. So there's like water and stuff in them. Anyway, so the pipe busted. And I was sitting there. I remember doing something probably very productive and studious like playing PlayStation. Um, that should tell you how old I am. PlayStation 1. <laughs> Uh, and I mean, we're sitting there playing like some Tony Hawk surfing or whatever he does. What does he do? Skateboarding? So something like that. I was playing some very intellectual game. And the radiator air conditioning unit busted and started flooding our room. And I thought, well, we can't let the like, PlayStation get ruined. So I grabbed all my roommate's clothes that were on the floor and like shoved them up in front of the radiator. Because I wasn't going to use my clothes, obviously. 
uh, and it was his PlayStation, so I figured he was okay with it as well. So anyway, um, our room flooded, the university came to clean it up, and part of the cleaning up they'd use like this bleach powder concoction to like clean the room. So then when it dried, there was like white bleach powder on the floor. So we're like, well, we can't sleep in a room with bleach powder on the floor, so we got a vacuum cleaner, because we're smart. And we started like vacuuming up the bleach powder, which then only circulated the bleach into the air. <laughs> At that point we thought, we probably shouldn't be in here tonight. So Aaron and John, going back to Aaron and John, the, the juniors that were in challenge. They said, hey, come crash with us in our tri-suite. Now, a tri-suite, just so you guys understand, a tri-suite was two rooms that was connected. So basically, you could put like all your beds in the back room, and then you could put like couches and stuff in the front room. So it was really cool. These guys were cool. In Walker 728, that was their tri-suite, the front room was painted like an aquarium scene. No joke, like all four walls. Rumor had it that some like kid's mom was a famous artist in the 1970s, and she came and like painted this whole room. So it was known as the fish room. So I hung out in the fish room for like a week. And during that time, I got to know Aaron. And that changed my life. Aaron started reading the Bible with me, helping me understand what it meant to be a Christian. And I'm forever grateful for that. So challenge has a really special place in my life. It, it, it literally changed my life. And, you know, if you're here tonight and you're thinking, I'm inviting somebody and they just don't come. They're not coming. They don't want to be a part of it. Don't give up on them. Okay, it took Aaron clear into the spring semester before I even started noticing him. Uh, so don't give up. Uh, pray for them. Pray to be their, you know, just be their friends. Keep inviting them. Pray for their air conditioning to get flooded. Or not. That's mean. <laughs> Maybe just invite them. Um, but anyway, like I said, so challenge has a special place in my heart. Tonight, I want to I pick up where we left off last week. So we are doing this series called Jesus. And I love the concept of this because Christ is the most famous and the most debated person in all of history. Now, whether you believe in him or not, he's altered your life. Okay, that's just reality. Whether you believe in Christ or not, whether you're here tonight as a dedicated follower of Christ, or if you're here tonight because your friend, you know, invited you and your air conditioned flooded, you know, whatever that is, he changed your life. And um, I want to share with you tonight, probably, in, in my opinion, the most powerful event to ever take place in the history of humanity. In the entire history of history, there's one event that stands at the top of all of those events, and that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, this, there is nothing that comes close to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the pinnacle event in the entire Bible. Everything in Scripture rests on the resurrection, and the life of Christ was prophesied. He was born. He lived. He died. He raised again. He ascended to heaven, and now he's ruling with God the Father. And here's the thing. The resurrection proved that he said he was who he was. And you guys looked at that last week. I know Paul talked about that. Anyone could say that I'm the son of God, and anyone could say that I'm going to die and I'm going to come back, and then he'd be killed. I mean, anyone could be anyone. That's everybody. What proved that he was right is that he came back. See, the resurrection changed everything. See, without the risen Savior, there's no Christian faith. The Apostle Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 14, he said, And if he's still dead, then all our preaching is useless, and your trust in God is empty, worthless, hopeless. He says a few verses later in verse 20, but the fact is that Christ did actually rise from the dead, and he has become the first of millions who will come back to life again someday. So you see, the resurrection changes everything. Now, for every follower of Christ, the resurrection is not only real, but it's, it's, it's relevant to our lives. The reality is that the resurrection is critical to our lives, to everything that we believe. And I think that because the resurrection happened, it causes us to have to ask a couple questions. We have to ask two questions. One, why does it matter? You know, why did this thing that happened over 2,000 years ago, why does this matter? 
And then another question is, what does it matter for me personally? You know, why does it matter in the huge scheme of humanity and history in the future going forward? But, 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 but also, what does it mean for me personally? How does the resurrection change me? And I want to hopefully give you four answers tonight in response to those two questions. And then hopefully by the end of the night, you'll be able to answer the question, the resurrection matters to me personally because of this. That's my goal for tonight. So let's jump into it. The first answer, I think, in response to these questions is I can live forgiven. I can live forgiven. The truth is a dead savior can forgive nobody. Um, but Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. He didn't die a meaningless death. His resurrection proved that he has the authority to forgive sin. And we can, in the light of the resurrection, live knowing that we're completely forgiven. We all live with the consequences of sin. Every single one of us in here right now is living with the consequences of sin. Our sin personally and the sin of people around us. See, the thing about sin is sin destroys everything and everyone in its path. The resurrection means that I can be unchained from the bondage of that sin and I can be delivered from its power. That's what, that's what freedom in Christ is about. That's what being forgiven is about. In fact, when Christ was put on the cross, the very first words that he spoke were, in fact, words of forgiveness. He says in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I think it's interesting that of all the things that Christ could say, the spotlight, I mean, the, the, the spotlight you know, is on him for the entire world to see. And the very first words he says are words of forgiveness. Forgive them. I think he chose those words very carefully. He lived, he died, he rose again so that we can be forgiven. 1 John 1, 9 tells us that God is faithful and reliable. If we confess our sins, he forgives them and cleanses us from everything that we've done wrong. Do you guys believe that verse is true? Or is this just something that's in the Bible that sounds good? But do you actually believe these words to be true, that if I confess sin, he forgives them, and he cleanses me from everything that I've done wrong. See, his blood cleanses us from sin and guarantees that he's conquered sin, death, and hell. See, because of the resurrection, because Jesus came back from the grave, we can know that God has accepted our Savior's sacrifice. Did you ever think about that? Christ took our sin upon himself, and he died with our sin. Because he rose back, we can know that God accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. That's powerful, guys. There is powerful truth to that. You see, when God sees us, he sees Jesus. When God looks at us, he sees the perfection and the sinlessness of Christ. The truth is, if, if Jesus were still in the grave, we would still be in our sin. But because he lives, we can live forgiven and free. Followers of Christ, you know, for us, for every sin is forever gone because they are forever buried in an empty tomb. That is powerful, life-changing stuff. Jesus carried our sins to the cross and then to the grave. And our sin is forever buried in the grave, and he remembers our sins no more. Psalms 103 verse 12 says, He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Now, I've done quite a bit of traveling in my days. I have filled an entire passport I'm on my second passport. I've been to every continent except for like Antarctica. And, um, and here's in Australia. I haven't been to Australia. I like to go there. I have a shirt from there, but um, I haven't been there. Uh, but I've been to all the other continents. So I've, been, I've done a bit of traveling. And let me just say, east and west, how do, you ever, how do you ever connect those two? Because no matter where you are in the world, east is always one direction, west is always the other direction. They don't ever meet. That's what, that's what this verse is trying to talk about. 
Your sin and your righteousness in Christ, they never meet. Your sin is as far from you as, as these is from west. See, Jesus died, he rose again so you could live free, so you could live forgiven. So the question I want to start with is for you tonight is, have you accepted the forgiveness of Christ? Some of you are holding on to your sin and it's already been forgiven. You've accepted Christ in your life, and, and, but, and you're the one holding on to it. And Jesus says, look, this thing is gone. I don't, I don't remember this anymore. It's buried. It's in a grave that's empty. Accept the forgiveness that I died for. For some of you, this is where you're at. You need to accept his unconditional forgiveness. Unconditional forgiveness means that there's no conditions to be met. That's what unconditional means. That means there's nothing you have to do. See, a lot of religions in the world say you have to do this to, to earn salvation. You have to do this to be saved. You have to do this to be forgiven. What, what, what God does and what Jesus does, he comes in the scene and he says, it's done. There's no do. It's done. Everything's done. There's no conditions to be met. Simply accept. The second reason um, that I think the resurrection can change our life is that you can live transformed. We can live transformed lives. See, because of the resurrection, we can live empowered by the presence of Jesus to not live like we were, but we can be changed. We're not only forgiven, but we are filled with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Okay? Have you ever thought about that? The power that raised a dead man from the grave is the same power that's available to us each and every day, each and every moment of our lives. The Apostle Paul calls this the power of the resurrection. Jesus is not just someone that we can know about. He's someone that we can know personally. Philippians 3.10, Paul wrote, I want to know Christ and the power that raised him from the dead. I want to share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. One of the most, for me personally, one of the most life-changing truths that I have learned as a Christian is this saving life of Christ. Uh, through Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. He dwells in our hearts. He changes us. God's divinity inhabits our humanity. You ever think about that? When you accept Christ into your life, the divinity of God inhabits our humanity. We can live the Christian life not in our own strength, but in the power of the risen Savior. We can plug into his power each and every single day. Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses in the Bible says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in a body, I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, in theology, uh, there's two terms that deal with what we're talking about here in Galatians 2.20. Uh, and there are these big theological words called justification and sanctification, and they're big words. But basically, this is what it's talking about. Justification is what happens to a person in the moment of conversion when a person surrenders their life to Christ. It's a, it's a single event, a single moment that changes your life. This is what the first part of that verse is saying. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live Christ now lives in me. This is the moment when Christ comes into your life and begins the process of transformation. And then the, the, the other side of that is sanctification. And sanctification comes from the word sanctus, which is Latin for the word holy. So another way that you could look at the word sanctification is you could say holyfication. It's, it's the process in which God makes you more holy, more like himself. Um, it's a lifelong process of growth where one becomes more and more holy like God. We have been set apart for his purposes and for his possession. This is the part of the verse where it says, the life I live 
in the body I live, meaning present and ongoing. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's another way you could look at it. Justification is the work of Christ for us. Okay, sanctification is the work of Christ in us. Justification is the act in which God declares us just. It's a single act. Sanctification is the process in which God makes it a reality in our lives. Justification liberates us from the penalty of our sin. Sanctification liberates us from the power of sin. See, whoever you were before Christ is not who you are now. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He is not the same anymore. A new life has begun. And this is my prayer for all of us tonight, is that you will live and experience a transformational life through the power of the resurrected Christ. In fact, earlier today, I prayed for every one of us. I didn't know who was going to be here, but I, I just prayed for every single person in this room tonight. And I prayed that the way you came tonight is not the way that you would leave tonight. In fact, I prayed that if you came in apathetic, that you would leave loving. I prayed that if you came in bitter, that you would leave forgiving. If you came heavy with sorrow, that you would leave joyful. I prayed that if you came in selfish, you would leave more generous. I prayed that if you came in tonight anxious, that you would leave peaceful. I prayed that if you came in guilty, you would leave free. And I prayed that if you came in lost tonight, you would leave found in the presence of our Savior. I prayed that for you. So I don't know who you are. Uh, I don't know if one of those descriptions describes where you're at tonight, but I want to let you know that I prayed that for you tonight. And this point is all about the fact that you don't have to leave tonight the way you came in tonight. Who you were is not who you are. God wants to transform your life. He wants to change you from who you were to who he wants you to be. So a couple of questions for this point is, is where do you want Christ to change your life? Where do you want transformational power to change your life? Where do you find yourself struggling with something? Maybe, maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a sin pattern. Maybe it's something that happened to your life long time ago, and it's still having power over your life. You're still letting its presence control your present and your future. Where do you want transformation? Because you don't have to leave tonight the way you came in tonight. The resurrection allows us to live a forgiven life. And it also allows us to live a transformational life. Now, the third answer to these questions, what does the resurrection mean for me personally, is, is I can live victorious. I can live victoriously in life. And, I, and honestly, guys, I think this is the greatest lie that we buy into as Christians today. It's, it's, it's the lie that you can't have victory over sin in your life. And the truth is, is that absolutely nothing can be further from the truth as Christians, we have access to the most powerful power. I didn't know how else to say that. The most powerful power in all of history. We have victory in Christ because of the resurrection of Christ. I shared this verse a few weeks ago. If you go to Chico Community Church, I taught a few weeks back, and I shared this verse. Um, so it's going to sound familiar. If you don't go to church uh, there, um, then this will be new to you. But hopefully either way, it's really good. Uh, in Hebrews 13, 20 and 21, this verse is so incredible. I mean, there's just so much goodness. And I'm only going to highlight on like one part of it tonight. But there's this like, you could spend like weeks in these two verses. But I just want to read it to you tonight. It says, and now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, 
equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he who became the great shepherd of the sheep by an everlasting agreement between God and you, signed with his blood, produce in you through the power of Christ all that is pleasing to him. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And here's what I want to highlight. Death was the worst thing that sin and the powers of evil could throw at Jesus. In fact, death is the worst thing that the powers of evil can throw at us. What more, here's the question, what more can the forces of evil do to someone whom they killed if he doesn't stay dead? What happens to the power of evil when their greatest weapon is defeated? You see, Jesus defeated the grave. Jesus is victorious. And if you're a follower of Christ, that same resurrection, that same resurrected power, that victorious Jesus lives in you, equipping you to do his work, producing in you all the power that is needed to please him. Death's inability to hold Jesus symbolizes the totality of his victoriousness. All right, now think about it this way. Jesus used evil's greatest weapon against itself to free the very creation evil was hoping to destroy. Think about that. Jesus used evil's greatest weapon, death, against itself to free the very creation, us, that evil is hoping to destroy. I mean, how awesome is God? I mean, is that awesome? It's awesome. It's okay to say that's awesome. It's, it's kind of like evil is like, I'm going to destroy everything that God stands for by killing Jesus. And God was like, not in my house, Satan. Right? He's like, I got this. Don't, no, no, no. He, Jesus is like, don't worry, God. We got him. Oh, he's not even going to. It's like a trick play. He's like, he doesn't even see this thing coming. He's going to kill me. And yeah, in a moment, it's going to be painful. But I'm going to come back three days later. And death is going to be like, oh, snap. <laughs> right? And here's the craziest thing. The Bible over and over and over again speaks to this victorious work of Christ and the freedom that we can experience. I just want to blast through these verses, but I gave you a bunch of them because I wanted you to see that this is real, that this is true. Colossians 2.15 says, In this way God took away sin's power to accuse you of sin, and God openly displayed to the whole world Christ's triumph at the cross where your sins were taken away. If you don't know that verse, memorize that verse. I'm going to say that on every one of these, so you might as well just write memorize on all four. Romans 8, 2, it says, And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then 1 John 5, 4 says, For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. See, you can have victory in your life. The sin in your life, the, the, the past of your life does not have to predict your future. You can have victory in it. Um, but I want to be honest with you about one thing. Because, because you were created by God, we are responsible before God for how we use our life. And if you are a Christ follower, and you're, sitting, you're, you're here tonight, and you're a Christ follower, and you are continually being overcome by a lack of victory in your life, Okay, now I don't know if that describes you, but that's definitely been me at times, where I'm like, I am following Christ. God is in my life. There is absolutely no question about that. If you ask me if I'm a Christian, if you ask me if I'm a Christ follower, I'll say undeniably, yes, I know Jesus Christ. If you just say, are you perfect? I'd be like, no, I have struggles, and I am trying to figure out how to overcome them. And some of you tonight are maybe have given your life to Christ, and you're still finding yourself struggling to overcome a certain area in life. And here it is. I want you to start by asking yourself, have I been denying Christ's rightful place on the throne of my life? 
Because here's the reality. The dethronement of Christ will always lead to a failure in the spiritual life. It is Christ and Christ alone that can give you constant daily victories in life. And if you're struggling to find victory in life, I want you to start by saying, God, where are you and where am I and who's on the throne? Because if I'm on the throne, I'm going to lose that battle every single time. Because I'm a very finite being, which means my energy is finite, my power is finite, my endurance is finite. I'm not going to win that battle alone. I need to get off the throne of my life. I need to put Christ back on the throne of my life. And now my power is unlimited. My, my, my strength is unlimited. My endurance is unlimited. My perspective is unlimited. And all of a sudden, I can see sin for what it is. I can see God for who he is. And I can say, yeah, not in this house today. I live for a risen Savior. Now, I don't mean that to be discouraging to you, okay? Rather, I hope it to be encouraging and liberating for you. Because so often when we experience defeat after defeat after defeat, we start to ask the question, why? What am I doing wrong? What's going wrong? You know, how can't I get over this? So I hope it's encouraging to you because I just gave you the first step. I gave you where to go. Say, God, where are you? And are you on the throne of my life right now? Christ, you need to be on your rightful position in my heart. Now, if that's you tonight, I encourage you to humbly step off the throne of your heart and allow Christ to come back on. See, the resurrection changes everything. We can live forgiven. We can live transformed. We can live victoriously. And lastly, I can live in hope. I can live in hope. Now, Christian hope is not like the worldly hope. It's not how the, the world would define hope uh, or how a dictionary would define hope. Uh, hope in the Bible is the sure and confident expectation that our future is in the hands of Jesus Christ. That is hope. See, hope means that Jesus is the Lord of our todays and our tomorrows. And he's coming again in power and glory. And we can live in eager expectation that we will one day be with him forever. That is hope. See, we can live every day in the certainty and the security of that promise. See, the resurrection of Christ has given us a living hope. The scriptures tell us in 1 Peter 1.3, it says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. What does that say? Through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, it is the resurrection of Christ that gives us hope. It gives us security. It gives us certainty. It's not a dead hope. It's not a partial hope. It's a complete hope. It's an active hope. It's a breathing hope. It's a living hope. We don't live with, with hope like it's something that's beside us that can, that can walk away or something that we can have and then lose. But we live in hope, meaning you are surrounded by hope. You are immersed in hope. We're not drinking a cup of hope. You're swimming in an ocean of hope. See, if you believe in the resurrection, you are completely immersed in hope. And that hope is living. Romans 15, 13 says that I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then, Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's Romans 15, 13. That's actually the verse that I gave Coraline, my daughter. That's the verse that I prayed for her. Um, Every one of my children has a verse, and that's her verse. It's Romans 15, 13. My prayer for her is that she will live a life completely with joy and peace, and that overflows into lives of people. And if you want to claim that verse for yourself, that's okay with me. You can have it. It's, uh, I didn't, I'm sure other people have too. Um, 
See, hope is great. Hope is living. Hope is transformational in lives because it's through the power of the resurrection that we have hope. The Christian's claim of eternal life is assured by the reality of the resurrection. A dead Savior can't offer life. That's just true. A dead person can't give you eternal life. The thing is, our Savior is living. Our Savior is eternal. Our Savior is reigning with God the Father in heaven. He's going to come back someday. See, Christ destroyed death, and he's given us a living hope. So I, start, I go back to the question we started at tonight. Why does a resurrection matter? Why does it matter for me personally? Hopefully, in the last few minutes, we've been able to answer some of those questions for you. And if you've given your life to Christ, I hope that this message has been encouraging to you. I hope that it has helped you see areas in your life where you can grow, areas in your life where you can trust God. And maybe you're here tonight and you haven't yet decided to give your life to Christ. Maybe you're still wrestling with whether or not to, you know, this Jesus thing, this God thing is, is real. You know, maybe you've been hurt by something in your past and, or circumstances in your life. And you're just wondering if healing and strength can be found in God. You know, whatever it is, you know, whoever you are, wherever you are, I'm glad you're here tonight because this is the single most important, impactful event in all of history. One act of kindness, one act of love, one act of mercy, one act of grace totally and completely changed the history of humanity. So whatever it is, I'm glad that you're here tonight. I'm sure that we all have a next step. Every one of us, this is one thing I am for sure confident about is no matter where you are, you have a next step. That next step for you might be accepting Christ. That next step might be saying, you know what, God, you're in my life, but you're not, on, you're not on the throne of my heart. That next step might be just say, God, you know what, I'm going to every single day tap into that victorious, glorious power of the resurrection, and I'm going to claim victory over sin. See, Christ is the only way because only Christ is able to make the way. Uh, the resurrection matters. It gives us forgiveness. It allows us to be transformed. It gives us victoriousness over our life, and it gives us a living hope. Let's pray together. Well, God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for every single person that's here tonight. Lord, and I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much that there is power and that there is freedom and that there is glory in your word. And Father, I thank you that your word gives us the power to be forgiven. I thank you that your word gives us the power to be transformed. God, I thank you that your word gives us the power to live victorious over sin in our lives, that we, we don't have to be the person that we came here tonight. God, that we can, we can choose right now in this moment to leave differently than the way we came in. And God, I thank you so much that there is a living, active, breathing, confident hope that we can have access to that regardless of where we are in our life, that we have a hope that will carry us through. Father, thank you so much for the life that you have done, uh, the work that you've done in my life, the change that you have done in my life. Father, thank you for the change that you have done in so many people's lives in this room. And Lord, I pray that as we transition into a time of worship and reflection, God, that you would give us our next step. Lord, I just pray right now that every one of us would say, God, what is my next step? God, show me my next step. And I pray in the power of Jesus that I will take that next step. So God, thank you so much for this time tonight. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. When you came in tonight, you were given 
a Connect card. And I just wanted to ask you to take a moment to fill out these. These are really important to us here at Challenge. We, uh, you know, we just don't like make paper airplanes out of these and play with them later. Um, we take these very seriously. There's a next step for you. Maybe that next step is giving your life to Jesus. Maybe it's simply saying, you know what, I want to learn more about a life group. Maybe my next step is saying, man, I love challenge. I'm going to invite someone to challenge next week. Maybe that next step is simply saying, you know what, I just need to talk to somebody. I just need to pray with somebody. I just need to let someone into my life. I need to be open and honest, and I need to begin to live a life changed. Whatever that is, take a few moments Write it on this card. In a few minutes, the band's going to start playing some music. Some baskets are going to be passed down the row. Just drop it in there as the basket goes by, and then we're going to have some time of music and reflection after that. Okay, so let's do that now. Thanks. Thanks.